folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, the draft analyst, the two-for-one draft podcast, which I listen to all the time and is both insightful and hilarious at times. What's going on, Mike? Not much. I'm just enjoying the offseason, to be honest here. I have been – draft season's always, obviously, a lot, but the summer is – Summer makes it all worth it, so I don't do much. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, I wanted to give you a little space between the draft and now because I figured you were gassed, so I thought recharge the batteries, get a few dates in there, uh, you know, hurt yourself playing basketball and, and so forth, and, and then we'll we'll talk no. about the Vikings draft. Yeah, so you got the, you got all that in, yeah. um, and uh, so I, I want to get to this Vikings draft class, and we'll talk about Kellen Mond and, and so forth, but you guys have been doing a series on your podcast, you and Austin Gale, looking back at the... 2018, 2019, 2020 drafts. And what really stuck out to me, Mike, was the Vikings 2019 draft is like, oh, not so great. And then the 2020 draft is like, wow, okay, you you belong at the very top of the list. I think you guys said A or A+. Um, And what does that say about just the randomness of drafting and how difficult it is to rely on draft picks, especially for a team that's been fighting with their cap space for years and really needed to hit on some of these drafts? Yeah, I think it really speaks to, I'd say, two different things. One is that there is a lot of randomness to this. Like, there's not a lot of people who are doing it, evaluating talent consistently better than everyone else out there. Like, it's just difficult to project how a 21-year-old, 22-year-old is going to look when they're 24 or 25-year-old. It's a difficult task. And how they're going to look when they're playing against 18-year-olds versus what they're going to look like playing against grown men. So that's difficult to be consistently better evaluating talent than everyone else in the NFL. And – how much it like impacts to have a lot of draft picks. Like this Minnesota Vikings draft would look a lot different in 2020 if they didn't have the 22nd overall pick. If they just had that one first rounder and it was Jeff Gladney, all of a sudden it would go from one of the best drafts, which we voted you know right up there, them the Tampa Bay Bucks is the best drafts this past year, to maybe one of the worst drafts if you didn't have Justin Jefferson in there. And so uh, the Vikings are a very good sort of case study for why as many swings at the bat matter and getting – uh, and just how random kind of drafting of and evaluating this talent can be. 
And I think you, you guys, uh, you know, made a really good point on the podcast about how it's really the first two, maybe three players you draft that make the difference. And then everything else is just darts at the dartboard, rolls of the die. And it's always something that comes up this year. The Vikings didn't have seventh round picks, but uh, they accumulated them for years. And it just never really paid off to accumulate all of these guys that if they worked out, yes, they're cheap talent, but they just so rarely uh, work out. I want to ask you about when you think it's appropriate and and this is always a thing with like criticism and we're talking about when to criticize and so forth uh but when is it appropriate to say what were you guys thinking with the draft <laughs> i mean because we just talked about how it could be random at the same time you drafted a center in the first round who wasn't even the best center actually not really even close to the best interior offensive lineman in that draft class I think the process there can be questioned. If you're drafting a center at 18, the guy better turn into an all-pro, and if he doesn't, you've really missed the boat there, I think. Yeah, I think those are the decisions you can criticize right away. It's what what positions did you attack, uh, trade decisions, how much did you give up slash get back in a trade, and obviously fleeced, we thought in our eyes, fleeced that or finessed that really well this past year, but like attacking a position like center when everyone knows you can find them in the third, find them in the fourth. And to say that's the one guy who's going to fix my team. I think you can criticize that immediately. Now criticizing the player that you picked, I think two years down the line, you can be like that because you need to maximize a rookie deal. If half of their rookie deal is in the tank in terms of getting value back from it, even if that guy comes good, like I've always said, the Bud, Bud Dupree is the case study for me on this. So the guy I always say, go back to this. He was bad for three years. Bud Dupree was not worth a first-round pick for three years. Yes, he came good by the end, but I still think that that's not a good pick in retrospect. It's three years that guy was star for your football team and didn't produce on the football field. I would look at that as a, like a swing and a miss. You could have got a guy who contributed, maybe didn't turn into what Bud Dupree turned into, but you missed three years of a guy who could have you know, improved your football team, won you championships over that time. So that's that to me is like if you're wasting that much time in a rookie deal, two years of a rookie deal, you're it's going to be tough to really make that be a good thing. Right, and I think with in the case of Bradbury, uh, even the PFF data has played out that centers, interior linemen usually need maybe even two years of development to get to where they need to be. But that's more of an argument to not draft one in the first round than it is to draft one in the first round. So even if Bradbury takes that step this year, they really needed it in you know 2019 when they were a playoff team and they're getting bowled over by Kenny Clark on play after play in a key game against the Packers. Like I, I think that that makes your point. Uh, I wanted to circle back to when we're talking about criticizing in these picks, Mike Hughes really blew up for them. Uh, barely ever played. I don't know if he got to a thousand snaps as a Minnesota Viking injuries hit him hard. Um, and now he is a Kansas city chief. We'll see how it plays out. That's one where I think you can criticize it only to the extent that there were some other players that they didn't go for in that draft, namely Lamar Jackson, when they signed a quarterback to a short-term deal and then passed on a good quarterback prospect. I guess I get it. I, though I look at the Hughes pick and say, it's much more understandable. It just didn't work out. Yeah, I, I can get on board with that. Like that, If you're arguing against the Hughes pick, I think you're arguing against the talent. Like You're arguing that some other guys were more talented on the board. You weren't necessarily arguing that it wasn't a position that could have impacted their football team. And yet he had uh, issues coming out in terms of I think size was an issue. Was he ever going to be an outside corner? Or was he more of a slot corner coming out of UCF? 
great around the around the line of scrimmage there, but maybe not necessarily your lockdown outside guy. But trust Mike Zimmer. It's kind of been his mo is throw resource at the cornerback position, and that's what we always advocate: is throw resources at the cornerback position because it is a weak link position. You're only as good as your third corner. So if your third corner stinks, he's the guy that gets targeted the most. So uh, you need three of them, and so that one's just more that is a misvaluation of talent, and then injury and development from there. Now, another guy from – I'm sort of bouncing around here, um, but it's just interesting about your point with drafting someone and needing them to produce on their rookie contract. Irv Smith is getting his first chance to be tight end number one, and the Vikings have uh, been excited about him and talked about him like they're very confident that he's going to take that next step. Um, would his emergence – change kind of the way you view that draft or with the fact that they passed up some really, really good wide receivers and took Irv Smith Jr. Instead uh, would that kind of shape it the way that, that you look at it. I was like, I'm wondering how much um, these things matter of like, if the guy eventually emerges and the fact that, you know, yes, you got a good player, but maybe it wasn't DK Metcalf who you probably should have just taken. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That one, the tight end conversation early on is always, I just don't think there's – I think there's so few guys that move the needle at tight end that it's not worth passing up on, especially, like I said, you need a wide receiver. And there are guys on the board there. Was A.J. Brown the pick before or was he the pick after? He was the pick directly after, right, in that draft? He pulled this up, yeah. Because he was right at – Irv was 50, and I know A.J. – I think A.J. Brown was 51. I think A.J. Brown was the pick Yes, right you're after. correct. A.J. Brown was 51. And so it's like the amount of tight ends that have moved the needle like a wide receiver could. And, and yeah, they had – to, and this was going to be this draft, the 18 draft. I think it was 18, right? Or was it 19? Uh, draft, it was a 19. 19. That 19 draft felt like the we changed schemes. Let me. I have to get the guys now for this scheme, right? Yes. That, that was that draft where it's like I get a center, a tight end, and then a running back that fit my scheme. Where it's like that's what free agency should be for, in my opinion. If you look for guys that to plug into your scheme that have to, you have to have guys to fill X Y Z role. That's what free agency is for, and you can't be passing up on talent and, and drafting a tight end that early. And Smith, Smith could be fine. I, I just don't – never seem like the super dynamic yak guy like a kid, Kittle could be. Like, it just never seemed like that kind of guy that can really move the needle tight end position, whereas a lot of wide receivers can move the needle for you in your offense. So uh, I, I still think he – I was still high on him as far as tight ends go. Probably would not have drafted him 50, but I do think he'll be a good tight end. I just don't think that makes you an elite offense. I don't think that turns you all of a sudden overnight into something different than they were last year. Yeah, I think that's a great assessment that they brought in the Kubiak-style offense and they said, no, we got to play a lot of two tight ends. We're going to run the football all the time. We need the grim reacher, uh, Garrett Bradbury. And and that was that was my thought at the time is like, look, if you're drafting a guy for reach blocks, I just, you know, that's, how valuable is that really to trying to win? And the same thing maybe goes for Irv Smith, where it's like for a couple of years, he's going to be our move tight end and we're going to have him line up here and there and the other thing. But lining up a tight end in the slot is not like lining up a wide receiver in the slot who's very good. Now, I should say that, you know, we mentioned A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. Paris Campbell and Andy Isabella are mixed in there, too. So, you know, it just could have – this is drafting, right? It could have just as easily gone super sideways for them. Uh, You mentioned the Jeff Gladney thing. There's another one that I tend to – scrutinized because Antoine Winfield Jr. was there. He was in our backyard. We saw him be great. It's like, this should be the easiest pick. And they decided to franchise 
take Anthony Harris and get Jeff Gladney. That that's one that's going to frustrate fans. I wonder about your opinion though on um, Ezra Cleveland and where he stands um, because he's going to play left guard. Played right guard last year. Little bit of a mess. Like I, I thought that he gave it the college try, but it wasn't like good. So. Yeah. Now he's got to make another position change, his second in two years, and it's still not his position. Um, did you see him as a guard when he came out? And how, I guess how do you think this will play out? I thought he could stick a tackle. Obviously, now he's not going to. But I do think that's about as hard a transition as you can do on an offensive line. Not only are you kicking into guard, you're doing, you're changing your footwork, going from left to right. Uh, it's not going to start well. And I always thought he was a project. Uh, it was more just an athletic project type of guy. Like his tape at Boise State. If you're going up against competition you went up against, you would not have expected him to lose, just, I guess, as much as he did. So it was never going to be great out the gate, but I do think that they've had success. Obviously, Brian O'Neill was a guy in a similar role or similar mold, I'll say, coming out of Pittsburgh where it's like, this guy's an athletic project. He went to the senior bowl and just got trounced, uh, I, I recall, back in the day and was not quite ready to pass protect year one. Not a lot of guys are. You know, Tristan Worst of the world are rarities. So I, I – do think that Ezra Cleveland has at least showed enough that I'd be excited. I, I, I'd be hopeful heading into year two. I don't think this is just a, oh, oh, oh damn, we screwed this one up. No, I, don't, I don't think that at all. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. It's I guess the one area where I would maybe question is just, like, did you know he was a guard when you were taking him at that spot? Or were you thinking tackle and then you saw him in person and decided, no, he's got to be a guard? Or, like, I, I want to know about the process of that because then it seems like, well, you did spend a second-round pick on a guy who's just a guard, and maybe that's a position that you would rather fill in free agency. It's, a, it's kind of an odd thing that we've never gotten an answer to of why was he a guard right out of the gate because otherwise, like, this is how you end up drafting Christian Derrissaw if you give Ezra Cleveland a chance at left tackle and like what you see, then you don't have to draft Christian Derrissaw. And then the, the domino effect is yeah. why your podcast is good uh, because there's always stuff to talk about with this. Yeah. Um, so let me get, let me get to this year's draft class. And then I've got a little bit of a fun game for you, I think. Um, so the decision to not draft Mac Jones, to not trade up enough to get Justin Fields, that the Carolina Panthers are flat rejecting your offer to try and trade up to uh, to get Fields. I, I guess what what did you make of that? Like sort of half-heartedly attempting to move up and then not taking Mac Jones at 16 and electing to wait until the third round to get a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, there is always should be, you should still make sound sort of decisions. It shouldn't just, the, even, even at the quarterback position, it shouldn't just be, I'll give up anything it takes to get a guy. And it, there should always be a price, and you should always try to, like, find the edge wherever you can do it. Stick to stick to that, and in the long run, you find enough edges, you'll get there, uh, theoretically. Um, obviously, quarterback just is a different value proposition than anywhere else, and they're kind of in that odd no-man's land that no one really wants to be in of paying a guy pretty much at his market value, I do think. Like, they're paying a quarterback who's, Yes, he's a good quarterback, but that is about how much he is worth. You know, and like they're not getting any edge on Kirk Cousins' deal, so they have to find that edge everywhere else on the roster to, you know, win a Super Bowl, do what everyone wants to do. And so that's that's fine. That's a fine place to be. It gives you a high floor. Like as we've seen, I think they've been a good team over the past four or five years, but they have also not sniffed Super Bowls. So um, I I don't disagree with not like I said, not giving up the farm to go get a guy. 
uh, if you don't necessarily believe in him. But it is an interesting sort of that just interesting sort of conversation that they tried to do it, but then by the time like they tried to do it at eight, like you said, the Panthers, right? That was where they were trying to trade, but then didn't try after that. Like there wasn't because the price starts going down after eight, you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and now the Bears still did give up a lot, but. Like at, at what they gave up, I would have given it up if I'm someone like the Vikings. Right. If my thing was, if you're going to move on from Cousins and you've made that decision based on a three-year sample size of him being your quarterback, then just do it. Like yeah. it, it wasn't an impossible number to reach where the Chicago Bears got to, and they may have tried to trade with other teams. The Panthers just put out a video showing the Vikings trying to trade with them, and yeah. then there were multiple reporters who had said that it was Justin Fields they were trying to get. But that's why it's kind of bizarre to me to want Justin Fields, but be like, I don't know how much we want Justin Fields. Like, just do it or don't. And that's sort of with the the Mac Jones conversation, too, that I have irritated fans on the show by saying, look, we don't know if Mac Jones will work out or not. But I do know that if he did work out and you drafted him, it would be great for you to draft a first round quarterback with your pick and not have to trade anything else. And I just have trouble playing Nostradamus when it comes to quarterbacks. Like I've, I've tried it. I've been Chris Sims writing down my little list of one through five, and I'm just as right and wrong as everybody else. And I guess that's, that's sort of fundamental to the point where it's like, if you wanted that future quarterback, you just kind of have to take swings there because nobody really knows, even the uh, best draft analysts in the world like yourself. Yeah, that is the problem, I guess. And that's why you're kind of stuck when you do have a Kirk Cousins. It's like then you don't have the desperation that makes you to make a move like the Rams did, like the Eagles did for their guys. And that ends up resulting in uh, like both those teams. One wants to roll, one goes to Super Bowl. It's like the, those are a lot of times the fortune does end up favoring the bold. But a lot of times you are, you know, theoretically overpaying for what a lot of people have overpaid in NFL history for the quarterbacks in the draft and the draft capital you're going to be giving up. It's going to be a lot, but sometimes that's what ends up, you know, making the difference. Right. And uh, if you get that guy, you know, on a middle first round contract, too, uh, and you could start him right away or within one year, um, you've got a, you've got a good shot within the next couple of years with. um with Kellen Mond, just how did you see him as a prospect? Uh, your your friend uh, Seth Galina, who uh, obviously gets roasted all the time for not liking Justin Herbert, but I was kind of there with him, to be honest. Uh, but but did, did you see Mond as a higher prospect than where he got taken? Because I, this is another fundamental thing for me, is I kind of trust the league that generally gets these things right if there's a huge gap between one player and another. I, I did not see him any better than that. That's about where I would have started to think about Kellen Mond. That might have even been like wh- with who was on the board right there. I might have, I probably would have gone elsewhere. I would have gone other positions. If I'm looking for a developmental quarterback, I, I just thought he was so limited from an accuracy perspective. And just like a, his throws down the football field were so inconsistent that, yeah, he didn't play with the talent that some of those other top guys did. And he does have physical tools, he is athletic, does have a pretty big arm. But, man, he's so robotic, so – and for him to be so robotic and then also so inconsistent, we're like, why Why are those two those, – those almost like go – are opposite. Like if a guy is so robotic looking and so, you know, structured snap after snap, why is he not actually the ball getting where it needs to go snap after snap? It's usually the guys who are loose and all over the place with their mechanics that are like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I just wasn't a massive fan of his, and I didn't see like the developmental – 
ness to him, but that's why he goes 66. That's why he doesn't go first round. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. We talked to Mike Zimmer today and asked, of course, there's going to be a Kellen Mond every, every time question. Uh, and he was like, well, he's really nailing the mental aspect of it. And it's like, well, what about the throwing? Like, what about the thing that, you know, the thing that they do? with their arms. Uh, so, you know, it's always interesting to read between the lines and kind of try to figure out what's being said and, and not being said uh, with the, with the offensive linemen. There's been a lot of talk with Darison Davis transforming the offensive line. I'm a little skeptical that they do it this year though. Um, how, how quickly do you think that these guys can get in there uh, based on what they did in college? Because I, I just think it's a tough thing like for, for any tackle, for any guard um, Davis would be an upgrade just by existing over what they had before. But like with Darisaw, he's replacing Riley Reef, who was legitimately good last year. So I, I guess how quickly do you think that they can, you know, finger quote, transform the offensive line? I think Davis is honestly, I'd be, less surprised if he plays well at the gate than I would with Darius. Like, I think Davis could day one be a competent guard. Now, elite guard, is he healthy? I'm not sure about either of those things, like the knee injuries he had at Ohio State and the, the consistent knee injury. Like, he played worse this past year because of that. And so, if he's fully healthy, though, uh, he was he was the top interior office lineman on our board after his 2019 tape. He would have been, if he would have came out that year as his retro sophomore year, he would have been the top office lineman on our interior office lineman on our board that year. Now it wasn't a great interior office line class, but he would have been the top one. Um, Darisaw, I just think he wasn't tested at Virginia Tech. He has the ability. You just didn't see him actually have to pass protect much and against high level sort of athletes. That's the biggest thing I'd probably worry about with him and with literally any offensive tackle coming out, just that the transition is massive. You go from maybe facing a guy with NFL athleticism along the defensive line to now you're facing 16, I guess, no, 17. You're, you're facing that every single week. There's a guy that's a freak athlete across from you, and that's just a different animal and why tackles are difficult to project out the gate. But I, I do think he was extremely sound in the run game. I think you can rely on that at least, and, and I do think in time for, for where they got him at pick 23 and after that trade, I, that was one of the best values in the first round. Hey everyone, summer is here and you're trying to get out on the golf course, but if you're like us here at Purple Insiders, spending all day golfing isn't always an option. That's why you need to check out Birdie Golf in Woodbury. I'll give you an example. My wife is new to golf and she's intimidated by the big courses, but at Birdie Golf, she could come and play without the pressure. You can make golf a family experience at Birdie Golf. Bring the kids, still get all of your swings in. They have eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and still have a great time. I've heard from several listeners to the show who have tried out Birdie Golf and absolutely loved it. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights, and every time Sam and I show up at Birdie Golf to record our podcast, we always get the boneless swings. Make golf a night out. It's the perfect place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, and even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive away from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro at birdiegolf.com, B-I-R-D-I golf.com. Call 651-998-2200 today, and I'll see you there. That's the interesting part of this team and I just want your full assessment, and then we can play a fun little game to wrap up. But um, they're one of the younger teams in the league now, which is so weird because they have Kirk Cousins as their quarterback. And this is another reason why it kind of would have made a lot of sense to go in on Justin Fields or Mac Jones, whatever your preference is. 
because suddenly you've got a lot of th- like you've got an offensive line that's all rookie contracts at this moment, and you have Je- Je- Justin Jefferson is a child still and could be great at this for another ten years or more. And so like you have all these foundational pieces to build. You seem like a team that is ready to kind of get that young quarterback and kind of go forward, but I'm not sure that they're ready at this moment to win with a veteran quarterback who's very expensive. Yeah, they are. So, so I have to ha- say hats off to Rick Spielman, how he's sort of transitioned from well, – what was the team that lost the Eagles? That 17 when they lost the Eagles? Yeah, and that was yep. probably their best team in the past, whatever, half decade. Um, transitioned from that when he had a lot of contracts coming up, a lot of bloat going to be on that roster, a lot of guys he's going to have to pay. And to reload with some young talent as they have, like to actually hit on guys, Jefferson, whatnot, Cameron Dancer as well, I throw into that mix of like – this transition from those two teams, they're vastly now two different teams. Um, and the, to still be competing throughout that whole mix is impressive, but it's also not really where you want to be in the NFL. It's like you either want to be very bad or very good. And being in that middle for so long, you lose out on the chance to then, like we've talked about, get that quarterback, like takes the swings at that quarterback position without having to mortgage all these picks. And so, um, I, I do think they have a good foundation, but it is still going to come down to Kirk Cousins versus what, what or whatever the sort of transitional plan from Kirk Cousins is. Right. And, you know, I just wrote about this the other day, kind of like, um, you know, if they wanted to fire everyone because they didn't perform well this year, I get it because that's football and they do that. But in a way, it's like you're sort of stuck, but you're also sort of moving in the right direction with a lot of pieces on the roster to where you can kind of see in the future, like this is going to peak at some point um, if a few of these guys hit. And so where are you going to be? Like, do you want to hire, oh, I don't know, Matt Rule, who ruins everything for your team and trades for Sam Darnold or something? Like, do you want, like sort of buyer beware a little bit with, uh, or careful what you wish for when it comes to firing people. Is, is yeah, do you want Dan right? Campbell and be maybe. <laughs> a quote unquote, I mean, for a year, yeah, but you want to like be a laughing stock in the NFL, which is kind of like the punchline this right. year in the So, do you want to cover Matt Cam or uh, Mark Campbell as a reporter? The answer would be uh, Dan Campbell, whatever. Who's Mark Campbell? He was another tight end, I think. I uh, Matt Campbell. I think he's Iowa State. Matt Campbell's Iowa State. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't Dan matter. Campbell. And every single one of them. And Dave Campbell is a reporter on our beat. And every single one of them is called Soup. So, uh, all right. <laughs> okay. So I, uh, I Googled list of long snappers and I came up with a list of all the long snappers in the league in 2015. So I want you to tell me is the player I'm going to give you a recent Viking seventh round draft pick or a long snapper from 2015. Okay. 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 Right. So we are going to begin with Aaron Brewer. Was Aaron Brewer a 2015 long snapper or a Viking seventh round draft pick? Is he a Viking seventh rounder? <laughs> no, he was a long snapper. He was a long snapper for the Broncos. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love this game already. Uh, Carson Tinker, T-I-N-K-E-R. Was he a long snapper or was he a Viking draft pick? I'm gonna go long snapper again. You are correct, Carson okay. Tinker. I mean, that one may be too obvious with his name. Yeah. So now you have to play the mental game with me of like, would he really go three yeah. long snappers in a row, or yeah. would he, you know, would he not? Right. Okay. So these are these are recent. So I'm not going like way back on you. Okay. Uh, Jack Tocho. Oh, uh, that is a bike south rounder. He was a what position did he play? I know that one. He, Jack Tocho was a 
Is he a cornerback? He was. Well, sort of. And they moved him to safety. And the, the reason he's famous with our beat is because they cut him and re-signed him like 47 different times. Like he owned the NFL waiver wire of just like <laughs> Jack Tocho being cut and uh, and signed. Okay. Uh, Colby Gossett. Is that a long snapper or a Viking late round draft pick? It's actually not a seventh rounder, but a late round draft pick. Vikings late rounder. Yeah. I think you remember you remember Colby Gossett well. I, I remember Colby Gossett. I don't remember too well though. He he was famous for I think like lifting a lot of weights, and I think there was and and you guys. This is one of the things that you guys do with your PFF data. It's like someone will have some skill. Uh, like zone blocking, you'll say, oh, the guy got a good zone blocking grade. So then everyone expects a sixth rounder to come in and just be like, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Gary oh, he was uh, from Army, maybe? Appalachian uh, State? Appalachian uh, State. He was from Appalachian State. Yep, that's right. Okay, 2015 long snapper or Viking late round draft pick. Austin Cutting. I'm going to go long snapper there. I don't recognize that one. Okay, so you're sort of right and wrong. He was a Viking seventh-round draft pick long snapper. Oh, there we go. As, as as you want to do, draft long snappers in the late rounds. Okay, yeah. uh, last one here. Um, David Morgan. Was he a long snapper oh, or was he? That was the Vikings late rounder. That was the UT – S-A, tight end? Yes, yes, yes. But but you're also sort of wrong because in one game he long snapped. Oh, he long snapped, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in one game. So this has been an episode of 2015 Long Snapper, or Vikings late round draft pick, and you did a tremendous job, Mike. <laughs> kind of sad I didn't recognize more of the long snapper names because I used to do, when I first started at PFF, I would do, they would stick me on doing the special teams mm. uh, PP of like, of analyzing who was on the field every single play because I did it. I had made the mistake of doing it faster than everyone else, which meant I got stuck doing all those games, which was the worst. <laughs> just having to analyze where everyone's on the field for the special teams games. Cause I could do like four games in like eight hours. Whereas everyone else, it took like one game was like four hours for everyone else. So made that mistake. So I was stuck doing that all year, but that'll teach you 13. I want to say so. that will teach you to be a draft scouting savant. That'll, <laughs> it doesn't pay. Uh, no, actually it does for you because you do great content and um, the draft guide. I just can't tell you enough how much the draft guide helps from a reporter perspective to have opinions on these guys leading up to it, to have information on them, to report on them, to ask questions about them when they get drafted, um, to be able to instantly just, you know, control F and go find everything that you guys have is, is so helpful. And I love the show. Sometimes I am made very uncomfortable by certain innuendos or anything, <laughs> anything, anything about either of your guys' oh, lives, but, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great show. Two for one drafts. I listen to it all the time. So thanks, man. It was great to catch up with you. No, for sure, man. Thanks for having me, man. Folks, if you are pumped up about how the Vikings did in the draft and now the schedule's out, it is a great time to get yourself a Skull Flag or Bud Grant shirt. And, of course, there's much, much more. If you go to sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, check them all out. And if you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. And if you're ready for the summer months, we're going to have hockey playoffs so you can get your dollar bill krill shirts. And if you're a golfer, you have to see the Minnesota golf hats. They are classic. All of Soda Sticks apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Follow them at Soda Stick Co. on Twitter. Go to SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. 
Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LPL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Okay, before we wrap up, just want to bring you a couple of the most interesting interviews that we had on Zoom calls with the Vikings uh, from Brian O'Neill, Ezra Cleveland, and Irv Smith. Brian O'Neill covered a lot of different ground, including his contract situation. We talked with Ezra Cleveland about knowing he's a left guard now, and Irv Smith talked about a lot of stuff, including eating New Orleans food and how difficult it is to be on a diet with that. So here's the best things that we heard from Vikings players in our OTAs week two Zoom calls. Um, hey, Matthew, followed by Sam. Brian, just how much different is this uh, in terms of a room now that uh, in a lot of ways you're the veteran guy? I don't, I don't know if you thought this would happen that fast, but with, with Riley now there, um, th- how does that change your mentality if it does? And, and I guess what are some of the things that you're trying to help along some of the younger players with? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the, probably the biggest change since I've been here, not having Riley around. Um, but in terms of my mentality, I don't think it really changes that much. You, know, you might have a few more pointers for the young guys, but at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, trying to progress myself to, you know, have the best season I possibly can and, you know, try to help lead this group the best way I can. And, um, you know, it's been fun. It's been a good group so far. There's been a great vibe around the building, great vibe in the room. Um, everybody's excited to be here. We're happy to be here. Sam then Don. Brian, when it comes to Christian specifically, you've been in his shoes. You've been a, a highly drafted tackle before. Uh, what wisdom can you impart to, to him as he kind of eases into this role? Um, you know, I kind of have been talking to him a bit and just trying to let him know that, you know, there's people here for him. Um, when you come in as a high draft pick like that, you know, there might be expectations here or there from the outside, but just letting them know that, you know, we're here for him. We're here to help him any way we can. And he's been really responsive. He's been attentive in meetings. He knows what he's doing already. He's asking the right kind of questions. I'm excited. He's going to be good. Brian, with this being such a pivotal off season for you personally, where do things stand as far as a contract extension for you? Are you expecting that, that that's going to be something that happens in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, something before training camp? Where are you at on that? Um, you know, I'm trying to be respectful of the process that goes on, you know, between my agent and the people here, but I want to be here. I want to be here long-term. I love it here and, uh, nothing would make me happier to be here long-term. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but I'm letting them handle that. Um, hopefully we can work together for a long time. Brian, uh, just, you mentioned Clint Kubiak, um, 
you go from Gary to to Clint. How similar or different is it? Um, you know, in in terms of, I mean, last year obviously you're in a different place because you're only on Zooms, so I'm sure that helps. But in terms of schematically, um, and how much does it help to have a lot of the same guys uh, who have been here that you've you know worked with? There's not a lot of turnover on the offensive side. Absolutely. There's not a lot of turnover and we're all speaking the same language, so to speak. Things are called the same, but Clint's done an awesome job. You can feel his confidence when he walks into the room. It doesn't seem like it's the first time he's ever done this. He's coaching guys hard. He's coaching me hard. Um, he's coaching Justin hard. He's coaching Dalvin. He's coaching, you know, guys at the top, guys at the bottom, everybody the same way. And you can tell he's really real and he's, um, excited to be here and excited to work. And you're like, okay, this guy really loves football. And you saw that with his dad too. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to have him. I think it's going to be great. Eric Ben Lindsay. Hey, Brian, um, you obviously played next to Ezra last year, uh, I think for nine games. How do you think he's done kind of transitioning over from right guard over to the left side? I think he's done great. I think, you know, he looks bigger. He looks stronger. He looks more confident. He's answering questions a lot quicker. He His footwork looks tight. He's in great shape. He's strong. Um, and I think he's really excited and happy to be here. I think he feels really good about being himself in our room. Not that he didn't last year, but, um, you know, when you get that confidence in yourself as a person, it's able to translate to the field a lot as a player. In my mind, that's kind of when the jump, you know, hopefully happened for me is when I felt comfortable and he definitely feels comfortable. Lindsay? I guess kind of jumping off a little bit off that, um, you mentioned how great it is to just be back and kind of in a football routine. How about for the guys like Ezra, Justin, DJ Wanham, guys who last year didn't really get any of this on-field time this spring or during the spring, what is it like to, to just see them be able to get this extra practice time and continue to, to gain that confidence? I think it's big. You know, I think, you know, my rookie year when I had OTAs, it was a great learning experience for me. Um, me and Ezra were talking yesterday about one of the dynamics is now we know where to go in terms of who to block or how to get there, but how do you do it more efficiently and how do you do it the right way over and over and over again? And really getting to the second layers of, well, what if this happens? How do you react? And really thinking on like, you know, deeper levels of the block and things that could happen as opposed to just, okay, on this play, I got that guy. And that's really the difference in OTAs is being able to understand things as a whole conceptually. Is there a, a way that you can sort of describe uh, the gap between when you first got here to now in terms of understanding what what you're seeing from defenses? It's a lot slower, but I hope when, you know, we talk in the fall or next, this time next year, the gap will be just as wide and that it continues to slow down and I continue to get better and see things at a higher level. Um, but it definitely, you know, you see things happen a lot quicker and there's only so many ways that a defense can blitz or different fronts that they can run. So you can kind of recognize things and say, oh, okay, this happened. I've seen this happen before. And it's not new for the first time with everything. Hey, Ezra, we just heard from Brian O'Neill, and he was saying that you seem to be a lot stronger this time around coming into it. What did you spend your offseason doing, and, and was that an emphasis for you coming into this year? Uh, the first two weeks of offseason kind of took a break, kind of recuperated, and then uh, – hit the weight room hard with my buddy um he's like into nutrition and all that stuff and um we we were just lifting he's running me through programs and stuff and uh i knew getting stronger was one of the things i had to work on so 
I was really hitting the weight room hard and working with him, doing some conditioning and stuff, and I think it's paying off pretty well right now. Um, I feel great out there on the field. Um, it's kind of one-two step right now, but my my footwork's feeling great, and I just feel like I'm in a really good uh, place right now. Matt and then Eric. Uh, Ezra, kind of speaking of that with uh, Brian, when he started as a rookie, he was kind of thrown into the fire. That's what happened to you last year. Uh, I guess how much did you grow during that time where you had to just kind of learn right guard on the fly, and how does that help you now, the experience that you got last year? Yeah, I mean, uh, as we all know, right guard was a new new uh, experience for me. But as I was playing, I felt like I was getting more comfortable there on the right side playing guard, and I was gaining the experience throughout the year. And by the end of the by the end of the year, I feel like you know I've been playing right guard for a long time, and uh, right now I'm playing left guard. I think it's gonna help me tremendously just having that experience at guard, and kind of moving back to my my natural side where I have most of my experience. So I'm excited for that, and I'm excited for this year. Yeah, I guess what would it be like about moving over to the left side? I know you played left tackle in college, and just being on the left side of the center, more of a comfort thing. Um, I wouldn't say comfort thing. I mean, I felt pretty good over there on the right side. I just, that's where I have majority of my experience and, uh, the offensive line, I feel like experience is a really big thing. And, uh, like you said, it's, it's more of a comfort zone over there. So like I said, I'm excited to get over there and, you know, get back to that left side. Andrew? Yeah, Ezra, how far has your confidence come? Just kind of having this now off season where you can actually walk through the OTAs and know the playbook and have the experience, obviously, from last year under your belt. Just kind of how far mentally do you think you've come? Yeah, so the mental part of the game is really important. And uh, I was also harping on that over the off season. you know, trying to learn the plays and get it dialed in to where it's faster um, out there on the field. And uh, that's helped my confidence tremendously. Uh, just getting out there, I know what I'm doing. I can kind of... You know, just play football, not have to worry about uh, situations and stuff like that. So it's helped me. It's helped me a lot. Matt, how much different is it just uh, in terms of, I, I guess, bonding with teammates and getting the chemistry down with the fact that you can have these OTAs in person as opposed to last year where training camp was the first time where you could actually really step on the field with guys? Yeah, I mean, we have a great turnout. I mean, majority of the guys are here. Uh, I'm pretty sure, and it's great to see everyone's face and be able to just learn about them and their path, their history and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, getting closer with the offensive line, um, talking with, you know, guys that I haven't talked with before, even the new guys like Wyatt and uh, Christian, they're great dudes. And I'm excited to, you know, move on, move forward with them and get to know them even more. Craig. How helpful is it for you to know the plan with you trying to maximize your abilities and, and optimize yourself? at guard uh, going forward, maybe with, with the tackles probably being set? Yeah, I mean, knowing that I'm going to be playing guard um, through the season, um, it helps me a lot because I can focus on my steps and everything like that. And I can kind of key in uh, mentally to uh, the guards, like situations and stuff that they have to worry about. So, I mean, it helps me a lot confidence-wise. And when I'm out there on the field, I also know what I'm doing. So I'll be able to pin my ears back and go play, go play fast football. Dane, then Sam. Or if you could think back to your rookie year and just, you know, how much there was to learn, just how much more comfortable do you feel and confident do you feel in the offense now um, compared to back then when you were kind of trying to crash course and everything? 
Uh, yeah, I feel I feel very comfortable out there. Um, you know, this is my third year um, in this offense, um, and you know, Coach Periani, he's putting me in every spot possible. Um, I mean, in this offense, it's, it's really cool because you know you can line guys up all over the place. So just now, just finding in on the details and um, you know, every learning the whole concept, not just okay, what do I have on this play or this play now? It's Okay, what do I if I was out here, what would I do? Or you know what I'm saying? Just so just trying to break it down in details and um so I can just go out there and play fast. Sam then Don. Yeah, Irv, you and Tyler Conklin had a lot of production when you played together late last season. Just how do you think you guys uh complement each other and, and what have your impressions of him been? I'm very I'm very, very excited about um about me and Conk together out there. Um, you know, Conk is, he's a great player, great guy, um, on and off the field. And I feel like as a tight end, um, you want to be able to move and you want to be able to not only be a threat in the pass game, but in the run game as well. And, you know, I feel like me and Conk, um, are one of the best at doing that. So just with that being said, um, I'm very excited about, you know, me and him playing together and, um, having this opportunity. This is just an observation from uh, when we've seen you the two times at OTAs, but you look bigger. I mean, granted, you're far away on the field, so maybe that's wrong. But, like, have you have you put more muscle on? Have you put more weight on? Do you feel, like, physically from year two to where you are, year three, what's changed, if anything? For sure. Um, you know, I feel like diet is definitely uh, something that's not really talked about so much. Um, I think it's very key. And for me, um, just being home in New Orleans this offseason, my cousin – um, she actually, she's about to be a, she's about to graduate from Tulane and be a registered dietitian. And so she's calculated all of my meals exactly. Okay. You need this much protein, you need this many calories, you need this, this, this. So, and it's just having that, like, it's just awesome. You don't have to worry about, okay, what am I going to eat today or, or anything. And then the work, the work always comes first in that sense. I mean, getting bigger, faster, stronger, um, being the best version of yourself, uh, possible. How does that make you feel on the field? Like how how how's it felt kind of running around um, now that you're kind of watching what you eat and all that kind of stuff? Does that make a difference that you can feel? Most most definitely makes a difference. Um, I mean, you're not sluggish out there. You don't feel heavy or or slow. You know, a lot of times after you eat, you kind of get tired. But you know, with when you're eating healthy and eating the proper things, you know, it's it's like fuel uh, for your car. You know, you putting putting the best gas in. How do you go about watching what you eat in New Orleans, Irv? <laughs> uh, it's, it's tough for sure. I mean, you know, you got to have your cheap meals here and there, uh, you know, get some crawfish, uh, a shrimp po' boy or something, you know, one of, the, one of those things. But for the most part, my family eats pretty healthy, so, you know, that helps. It's not like I'm eating the healthy, healthy food, and my family's over here eating you know, fried shrimp and, and all this and, and making me feel bad. So it's, it's cool having, you know, their support in terms of um, a healthy lifestyle as well. Speaking of New Orleans, New Orleans culture, I know it's been a couple months since we've seen the gritty <laughs> on the field and all that. I know Justin's in Fortnite now. That's a part of it. As someone who's from the city and mm-hmm. sees at, you know, blowing up in college football over all over the NFL, what would you say is like kind of that New Orleans influence? Does that – it feels like to an outsider that that has its its tentacles all over the NFL. And we're seeing it everywhere, like specifically 504, all everything that like you grew up in. No, most definitely. You know, it's 
New Orleans is it's like a place if you've ever been there, it's like a place like no other. Um and, you know, we got a lot of flavor and you know, we just bring our own little little sauce to it and you know, Lagritti, uh, you know, he went to, what school you I think Easton or but he um he started the dance and then, you know, with Jets it just blew up. Like and, and I feel like that's a lot of things with New Orleans in terms of like dances or you know what I'm saying, sayings and stuff. It's just it's just catchy and you know, we try to be trendsetters in a sense of, you know, starting your own thing and, and not being a follower. So it's just cool like seeing that stuff and seeing people from my city and, you know, growing up watching these dudes and now, you know what I'm saying, getting their own platform in a sense.